I'm never drinking again Put a hurting on my credit card I must have bought tequila shots For everybody at the bar What's up, humans? Today on the Windy City Joes, we have an absolutely incredible talent. He is an actor, a producer, a promoter, a founder, an executive producer. And if you follow along on his Instagram, he is a huge foodie. You may also recognize him from his uh, popular, very own produced Mikey O Show right here at Joe's on Weed Street and even Joe's Live in Rosemont. Mikey O, thank you for uh, coming on the show. Wow, thank you guys so much uh, for having me on. This is super cool. We're glad to have you here. So I want to go back to the, I almost said glory days, but really just the early days. So I'm curious because we're kind of just meeting for the first time. Yeah. So where are you from? I am originally this neighborhood. I'm from Wrigley Field. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, the Wrigley, Halstead and Roscoe area. Uh, and then moved to Logan Square. So uh, I'm uh, Puerto Rican, born and raised in Chicago. But um, uh, again, uh, yeah, Logan Square is, is my current neighborhood. Gotcha. Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, so being born and raised in Chicago and being just in the comedian comedy world for yeah. 20 plus years. Yeah. What got you started or was it who got you started? Like what got you just interested in, I guess, comedy? To yeah, start? absolutely. So, you know, uh, I... I've always been a fan of comedy. You know, I've always been a fan of sitcom and, uh, you know, Sanford and Son, Chico and the Man, All in the Family, Hogan's Heroes. You know, we can keep going way back all the way to Gilligan's Island. Right. So I've always been a huge fan of comedy and probably like everybody else, I uh, attempted to be funny in school and spent a lot of time in the uh, principal's office. Right. <laughs> yeah. <The> class <laughs> class clown type situation. Right. But um, yeah, it was a hobby that turned into a business. There was a guy, I, I remember walking by Lincoln and um, uh, Racine and I saw on a, on a, on a Reader magazine box uh, a thing that said Comedy 101. And it was a class taught by a guy named Jim Roth. And Jim, uh, for those of you who, who uh, know Jim, Jim taught a lot of people. Not taught a lot of people because comedy isn't necessarily taught. But what he taught was structure, how to lay it out and how to put it on stage. And I was already doing show production, but not comedy. Um, and then I thought to myself, well, that's interesting because if I took my comedy interest and combined it with my knowledge of show production, I was working for a company here that did uh, Latino festivals and stuff like that part time. And I had gained this skill set and was working at the planetarium in their events off special events office. And I decided, you know, I'm going to give this a try. So I had, I finished the class. I do a couple of open mics. And one thing that I immediately noticed was there were no Latinos in the audience and there were no Latinos on stage. Now I have said this from the very beginning. I never blamed that on a, you know, on a, on a, on a, you know, on a prejudice situation or racial situation or nothing like that. Everything has a demand. 
if there's no real Latinos on stage, we weren't expected to have a room for the Latinos watching, you know? So I'm like, man, I think, you know, I came out to do this open mic. I bought 13 people with me. Wow. And um, they liked it, you know, and I was terrible. Mm-hmm. And um, they liked it. And I thought to myself, well, then what would happen if we just did a Latino comedy night, you know? And it was a place on Halstead and Lake called Reunion. And Reunion uh, um, had this availability. I went in there, I went in there for a party and I asked the guy, hey, uh, you ever think about doing a comedy night here at all? The guy's like, no. And I'm like, uh, well, I've got this idea. Well, how long have you done it? Um, actually, I've never done it. You know what I mean? And yeah. the guy's like, well, we'll take a chance. You can have like Wednesday or something. And I remember doing this show and I printed out these little flyers and I handed them out to everybody and I begged my friends and everybody to come out. And I booked the only two other people I knew here in Chicago, which was that did comedy, which was uh, a guy named Alex Ortiz and Ricky Carmona. And Alex Ortiz did the show for us. Uh, and then Ricky Carmona did the show for us. I don't know if you guys know Ricky Carmona is currently the a writer for Tosh.0. Wow, and okay. he's been on the show, and he's been on the show for a long time. Wow! So we ended up doing this reunion, and people then forty people showed up, and fifty people showed up, and then what does reunion say? One day, it's over. Uh, we're selling the place, and I'm like, oh my god, right? But still, uh, it wasn't called the Mikey O show. It was just reunion comedy night, you know. And um, I still kind of felt, you know, there's an audience here. Luckily, there was a guy that worked at reunion who was a friend of the manager here. And he said, there's a guy at reunion trying to do comedy shows. And let me just tell you guys, this venue was, I was way in the back uh, at Joe's on Weed Street in the smaller of the rooms while there was heavy metal going on in the front room. <laughs> I'm telling you, while there was heavy metal going on in the front room and rock tributes and all this other stuff. And we do the show in their back room and everybody is kind of like trying to listen because the guys were strumming on their guitars hard. The back room was packed. And uh, then they said, and a lot of people, when I tell them this, they just like, they're like, what? They said, you know what? Let's see if we can put you in the tent. Believe it or not, that lot next door where if you ever go to Joe's, I mean, you've been to Joe's on Wee Street, you know that next door there is the OTB building, but that was an empty lot with a circus tent. Wow. Oh, bro. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I always said, if I own the nightclub, I will bring back the circus tent. Because you would see bands in there, just like yeah. the back room, whatever. So we went to the circus tent. And all of a sudden, we had this following. And it was, you know, then the problem was there were no comedians. So I found Ricky Carmona. Uh, Patty Vasquez eventually did the show. But I was promoting this Latino comedy show and rotating the same two or three people. You know, we had a, we had a female cancel the show. Uh, on us. So we ended up putting Alex Ortiz in drag. That's a true story. <laughs> oh, okay. Crazy Gloria, he called herself, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it worked. People loved it. It became, you know, it became great, but that's how it started. And we've been here the whole time and it's been a great place. When I tell people who's performed, you know, remember it's a Latino comedy room, mm-hmm. a Latino comedy night, but we've never, ever had a show that did not include everybody. Right. Everybody. We've just never done that. We call it a Latino comedy night to bring the people, you know, but TJ Miller, Kamel, uh, Hannibal, 
uh, Prashant Venkarada. Um, I mean, the, the, the list goes on of people who performed here, you know, Felipe Esparza. And um, the list goes on and on and on of people who performed here. It's been a great, great room. What was Hannibal from Chicago? Hannibal was from Chicago. And All right. he was, yeah, he was, uh, well, as far as where he lived, 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 uh, I, I can't, re- I don't want to make sure I don't misrepresent that. I don't know, but he was, he was in this room on a regular basis. And I mean, Cameron Esposito, we had, we had this awesome thing here where we were doing weird things. Like as an example, right after 9-11, I think we were the first people to put Jewish and Arab and American comics on the same stage. And, and, um, and they didn't tell me this, but I think that that combination of, 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 of being on stage together wasn't happening in other places out of fear. But remember, I didn't do it because I was bold. I was doing it because they were funny. Right, right. And, you know, it happened to me also with a gay show. Somebody said to me, hey, I did a gay show here one night where I bought in Sandra Valls and a very, very, very well-known lesbian comedian. And people said, hey, uh, you better go outside. There's a line out the door. I said, oh, man, a line out the door. That's great. Well, it was people protesting, you know, Jesus loves you type of thing, you know, uh, and they were protesting. But that was awesome because yeah. the reader did a story on it. There you go. And what does the lady from the Windy City Times say from the gay magazine at that time? What did she say? The gay community embraces Michael Kendall. Well, my gay show went on forever after that because, you know, I was the guy who did gay comedy. Again, another thing that I did just because and the people would say, well, how do you feel about doing gay comedy? I'm like, well, you keep asking me that question, but it's. I didn't meet her that way. I saw her. She was hysterical. I put her up. I saw the Arab American, the Jewish American, the Indian. They were hysterical. I put them up. And from that was born fajitas and greens and all in betweens. Different yet the same. There you go. Which became a popular college show. That's a kick-ass story. Yeah. So with like with all these these comedians that you have, I guess, worked with, and even in the early days, you you found them and were just like, hey, I need you for this. Yeah. I mean, you've you've been, uh, I guess, identifying between good comedians and I'm guessing not good comedians through your life. So what what do you think is the biggest difference between someone that knows how to put together an act and do stand up between someone that doesn't? Yeah. So I I'm, I'm a you know, so I don't like I, I had this problem this week with another situation. I don't like um, I. There was a comedian that used to come in here all the time. His name was Michael Palasek. And Michael Palasek used to uh, go in the corner and he would walk in and he didn't care about the pizza and the soda and the girls that were in the room or nothing like that. He'd stand in the corner and he'd write and he'd write and he'd write and he'd write and he'd write. And I thought to myself, this guy is engaged in these four minutes I'm about to give him. He is totally into those four minutes. As a young producer, as a young promoter, what I learned from him was, right? What are you here for? Yeah, there's a party going on here. Yeah, the music's loud. But what are you here for? You're here to knock out the best possible four you can knock out. And from that guy, I set the standard. Here is why. Sometimes we get other comedians that are like, oh, yeah, I've seen his set. Or I've seen her set. Or, you know, and uh, yeah, he's, you know, she's kind of weak. I don't like that. And here's why. Because we were all, we were all new once at everything we did. So 
if we take that comic and make the environment an uncomfortable, an unhappy environment for him, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be funny. Right. Yeah. But if we accept everybody where they're at and be like, yo, now, if I get a guy that comes in and, you know, because this always happens, I get the guy that comes in. Yeah, man, you know, I killed here and I killed there and I do this and I do that. And I, just, I always say to myself, no, he's not going to do well. He's not going to do well. I see that quiet comic that comes in and he's in his notes and I'm like, this guy's going to, this, this guy's, I never saw this guy before. This guy's going to rip the room apart. So there's a lot of just like humility and yeah. being, being humble to it. Yeah, man, being humble to it. And, and you know what? So what if, you, you know, comedians would come up to me and say, how did I do? I've always said, I hate that question. You know how you did. Right. Because we are judged by the audience. Did they laugh? Yeah. Oh, I think you did good. You know what I mean? I mean, how, I mean, how did you, you know, because again, you're, you're working on your set, your craft. That's your set. You're not an actor where I'm handing you a script. You're not a TV reporter where I'm handing you the news, right? You wrote that, you got to bring it to life. And if, if, if you fail at that, that night, that's that night. Everybody cannot have a home run night. You cannot. Every comedian that you've ever seen on TV will tell you all he knows all his bad nights, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, you, you come in and you knock it out and, uh, we're, we're lucky we've got uh, we, we, we've had we've had an opportunity here to see so many comedians develop. You know, another thing that's happening before Me Too, before the Me Too movement, before it was cool to go out and try to defend people. OK, before it was cool, we were doing a show here called Let Funny Families, all female comics hosted by a female. The female, the DJ was a female. How was that show born? Because women would come here and say, Thank you for giving me five minutes. I can't get five minutes anywhere without dating the promoter, without getting some, I'm right. yeah. And I would be like, well, hold on a second. How many of you are there? There's six of us. I'm like, well, guess what? That's a lineup. The lineup, Funny Femme starts every Tuesday starting next week. And we packed it back there. Again, what did people say? Oh, my God, you're so brilliant. No, I'm not brilliant. You're not giving these people a chance. Right. You're right. not giving them a chance. So, you know... <laughs> We, 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 if you're coming in and you've got your, and you're really committed to the, to the act and we're right down the block from Zanies, we have never been an enemy of Zanies. And we have most of the time closed our shows with, there's a lot of great venues to support here in the city. Don't forget Zanies is right down the block. Check them out. They've got a great lineup too. Why? We don't do what they do. They don't do what we do. We've never considered them competition. What we do here was very different. It was a gym for comedians. That's a cool way to look yeah. at it. It's a gym. You come here to work it out, you know. And comedians will call me and say, "Hey, I started working at Zanies. I, I, I really can't work for you anymore." And I would be like, "Yeah, that's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. The name of the game is you're moving up." I got started working at the Laugh Factory. You know, I'm started working at. I got a I got a permanent gig at the you know Second City. Yeah, that's the name of the game. Those are good calls to get. Yeah, those yeah. are good calls to get. If you're still doing my show, only. Five years after you walked in here, <laughs> you got a problem, yeah. right? Only, you yeah. know, so the idea is to develop. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you think uh, the comedy world right now is in a good place? Man, that's a tough question because right now, so I have this thing. I, you know, uh, uh, I, I was asked this question last night. I don't like comedians that apologize. Mm. I don't book them. 
Mm. When I see a comedian that's on social media apologizing for a joke, now now let's be clear, unless he was brutal and irresponsible, that's different. Yeah. That's different. You're being brutal, irresponsible, you're being a bully, you're being mean, that's different. But I just, over the last few years, the amount of comedian that have had to apologize because we're locked in with sponsors or funding is brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. And I just, it, it irks me to see that. I'll listen to the bit and I'm like, what was wrong with that bit? Right? There was nothing wrong with that bit. The problem is, is we've decided that we're going to dissect jokes now, dissect bits and say, this is going on in the news. It is now applicable to what's going on in the news. And I'm sensitive to that. And that's terrible. Right. That's terrible. He wasn't talking about, you know, this bit here, uh, you know, uh, yeah, because I, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I chopped down trees with squirrels in them. Now you've got the tree people and the squirrel people coming after you because two weeks ago that really did happen in a malicious way. That's not what he was talking about. Right. You applied it to yourself. So we're, we're in a delicate place. We're coming back, but yeah. we're in a delicate place. And it's happened not only with the audiences, but with the comedians, comedians that are walking in now and saying, um, I'm here to do my time. When do I get paid? Uh, well, first of all, uh, we haven't seen you yet. Or what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it about this that makes it money for you? Yeah. You know? They'll come in and they'll say, well, the place is packed. I should be getting paid. Okay. The place is packed. You should be getting paid because, of course, the venue's free. The servers are free. Security's free. Flyers are free. Sound guys are free. No, there's there's an operating cost here, um, and we that part of it is also getting a little weird. Yeah, where it's like you know you should be hungry. Yeah, you should be hungry when you hear when you hear that that uh, that Billy Crystal drove halfway around the country for forty dollars. That should be your inspiration. Right. <laughs> Yeah. It, it it sucks to hear. I mean, I I want everyone to get their money, you know, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But it sucks to hear the fact that like someone is in the art of comedy and they're like, all right, where is my money? Yeah, Instead they're, of they're more focused on monetizing it versus just the appreciation of yeah, their own the, art. Yeah, yeah. And the craft. Yeah. Let's be very clear. You should be paid. Right. You should be paid. That that I get. But most people don't know. I don't know if you guys know. You know that in New York City, a comedian has to do five or six train rides a night to equal about 80 bucks a night. Some rooms pay 15, some rooms pay 20, some rooms pay 30, right? And that's New York City. You should be paid, right? You should be paid. Um, what I always like to ask is this. Uh, you're working this out, right? Yeah, you're walking in to work this out. Comedians, if you want to be available for the $200 work, the $500 work, the $1,000 work, you should be available for the $10 work and the $20 work. By the same token, you should be improving in your work. You think it's fair for a producer or a promoter to pay $500 for a set that's five years old? In five years, you haven't updated your set. You haven't changed anything. I don't think that's fair. But, you know, it's just what's happening. Yeah. You know. Well, and obviously the world went through such a crazy time where everyone yeah. is hurting for money. Everybody is hurting. But I do understand what you're saying. Where yeah. I mean, it is it makes complete sense to where they should be more focused on the craft and developing that 
versus just like give me money. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, I'm not a, I'm I, I I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not a big fan of watching a guy take the bus in the rain when I'm leaving here after a show and I've been paid. I've seen that many times when I go east on Hosted, right? They leave here and, you know, I, I think, think to myself, well, wow, that guy just left with 25 bucks and now he's on a train, he's in the rain, you know? So I get that whole part of it, but I'm only one, right? And I tell comedians all the time, bring me something that we can put on stage. Uh, we'd be happy to split the door with you. We'd be happy to create a revenue opportunity for you. Right. Um, so it's it's the way it is. But and I shouldn't say it's the way it is. It's the way it is. And it shouldn't be that way uh, because there's there's an incredible amount of opportunity. But right. It's the stepping stone. It's the starting stone. Yeah. Well, and you look at places like uh, I don't know if you saw that Showtime documentary on uh, the comedy store. Oh, where, yeah. Where they they had a whole strike because yeah. no one was getting paid. Yeah. But I mean, you think about all those people like Leno and them that just started out not yeah. getting paid for years. Yeah. And it's like, because they were hungry. They were hungry. If if I could see that both ways, when the place uh, was destroyed, when the place started to fall apart, nobody wrote them a check. Right. Nobody said between Leno and I, we're sitting on a half a billion dollars. We're going to cut you a check yeah. to a place that needed $90,000 to do some minor improvements. I mean, you know, whatever the case was, you get my point. Yeah. Right? So, uh, you know, I know that I know the comedians. I know the comedians just by looking at them. I know the ones that are going to hit and the ones that are going to hit are the ones that are just hungry to get on that microphone. They don't want to. They don't want to. Listen, it's interesting. Somebody somebody said, do you like all the comedians? No. Do all the comedians like you? No. But one thing we have in common is when they hit that stage, they're doing their job. And we cannot argue with them about that at all. Because they're here. That's, remember, back to the original point about Michael Palisak. Yeah. What I learned from Michael Palisak is that, and he's been on, and he went on to do TV. He went on to do, uh, I, I believe, all, all, the, all the late night stuff. What I learned about him was, I'm here to work. I'm here to work. I'm here to do... I'm here to work. I'm here to make these people in the audience, you know, and I never sit backstage. I don't go backstage because I want to be with the audience. I want to, I want to feel what they feel. I want to check out this energy. And sometimes you see these comics that come in, the ones that are ready to work. And you're like, this guy's going to be a beast. Kamel was a beast when he walked in here. Day one. He didn't have, he didn't have a progression. I can think of five or six guys that that happened to. He did not have a progression. He was a beast moment one. I was like, it's over. So do you think uh, with Chappelle, he just came out with a new special? Yeah. And it's his last one, he said. Like these mega stars, these of the comedy world are starting to take a step back because they're getting so much backlash for jokes that they're not saying with malice but yeah necessarily. i would say they're getting annoyed too yeah, yeah it's, it's like easier to just step away from it for a while yeah well here's the thing here's 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 my view on that and i am not i don't have a, 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 a an inch of the money that they have right but here's the thing um that's a lot of money for a netflix special it is a ton of money uh i am i'm pretty convinced and people always, oh, come on. 
but I'm pretty convinced that if Chappelle did this room and he got $50, he'd be happier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, well, you do, he'd be happier. You do hear about stories like that where he goes into just like dives or yeah. whatever. And Kevin Hart, too. They just yeah. work on their material. Yeah. And it, I almost wish... I could see a special of that instead of the one where they're selling out Madison Square Garden yeah. or the Cowboy Stadium yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. Wouldn't it be great to see? And I, you know, I've, again, just from ideas, but wouldn't it be great to see an entire Netflix series of them just doing pop-ins where nobody knows they're going to be there? Yeah. Right. And I'm going to tell you something. Those guys would be happier on those $50 nights than they would be on those $50 million nights. The 50 million makes a nice difference, but what happens is you detach. It's impossible not to, because yeah. you no longer, you're no, you're, you've got 19 people. You know, you've got the sound guy, the lighting guy, the director, the assistant director, the producers, the executive producers. There's 52 titles you're reporting to. Yeah. As opposed to walking in, Billy the bartender, what's up, man? Good to see you. Jimmy, you're still doing sound. You look terrible and you sound terrible. I right, put me up. That yeah. guy's, that's the happiness that they don't have anymore. Yeah. So when you, you, you're not allowed, you really can't, uh, you really can't. I saw, I worked, I, I, I Joey Villa Gomez, uh, and I were invited to, uh, hang out with Paul Rodriguez at the Chicago theater on his whole tour night. And I saw Paul Rodriguez say goodnight. I, I never forgot this. And I, and the same thing from that, I make my comedians take the exit. I saw Paul Rodriguez say goodnight to 3,200 people. After he said goodnight, he said goodnight to 3,200 people. 3,200 people shook his hand on the way out. The show was over at 9.30. We left the lobby at midnight. Yeah. And wow. I kept like, yo, when are we leaving? Because we were starving. You no, know, manager was like, he says goodnight to everybody. People bought him tacos. People bought him cake. People bought him tamales. People bought him tequila. Old ladies bought him pictures to sign. And I thought to myself, much happier. Much happier than not ever needing 22 people around you to escort you in and out of a venue. I mean, he gets that connection, that personal connection yeah. and that camaraderie with, yeah. his, with his fan base. Yeah. I have 61,000 subscribers. Wow. No, no. Emails. Yeah. Yeah. Not Netflix. I mean, I'm sorry, not Instagram, not Facebook. Emails. 61,000 is my list. It varies three or four thousand dollars. Interestingly enough, three or four thousand people. New Year's Eve, from New Year's, from like New Year's Eve through January's 31st, people get laid off, people quit, people retire, people whatever. I'll start losing some, but then they build back up. 61,000. And people ask me, how'd you get those emails? One at a time. Yeah. Yeah. 20 years of one at a time. Why? Because I make it a point. My business card person will tell you I hand out more business cards than anybody she knows. Yeah, I got one. We, of your business we both cards. got one. Yeah, <laughs> this is the first time I've met you in person. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and 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 so and so and so what happens is why I tell the comedians they saw you on stage. Now make the personal connection. Oh, you know I just now there's a guy that performs here. I'm not going to tell you his name. He's a Latino comedian from Los Angeles. Most people have never heard of him. But I can tomorrow morning put him on a flyer, hit send, and he'll pack it. Why? People remember those handshakes. Right. Well, and, and I had an experience like that when I was in New York. And this kind of goes back to uh, talking about female comedians. Because I feel like today there's more female comedians rising up 
than ever before, Absolutely. you know, because they're getting more opportunities. Yeah. Uh, I saw I was in New York and I popped into the comedy cellar to just see a show. And the list that they told me I was going to see got bumped because Nikki Glaser and uh, Rachel Feinstein uh, wow. and uh, Jessica Kearson uh, showed up. And they did a set and they stood by the door and they shook everyone's hand as they, you know, everybody. And it was, and then it had a drink next door at the fat black pussycat. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> just, just like seeing them drink and sit at the bar. It was like, it was like, wow, that's oh, like, yeah. it's, it's a, it changes be, your perspective. Normal people. Yeah. 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 And yeah. they're happier. Yeah. They're happier that way. They're happier with a regular everyday crowd. And you know, look, uh, uh, I had a comedian tell me one time, he says, uh, uh, what was his name? Oh, Darren Carter, the party starter. <laughs> and that was his name. And I'm going to tell you guys today, he would not do well because he had thongs that he sold at colleges. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was nuts. <laughs> uh, and Darren Carter, the party starter, very funny, but very kind of like he would not, I'm not sure what he's doing today, but I guarantee you he's not doing, he's not selling those items. But Darren Carter, the party starter, would say to me, uh, just so you know, you don't have a problem, but I, I, go, to, I go to each person and uh, I say goodnight. I'm like, yo, I love that you do that. He goes, yeah. He goes, these people pay. Think about what he said. I never forgot the lessons I learned. These are, you know, sometimes I say things and people are like, oh, you're brilliant. No, I learned this, right? I learned all of this from different comedians. He would say to me, they got a sitter. They got a date. They got new jeans. They got dressed up. They found a parking spot. They saved their money. Most of them don't have enough money to be here. I'm going to say hi to them because they made me important tonight. That's awesome. And I was like, yo, that's my new thing right there. I'm going to live by that. And they got sitters. They got, you know, and that's that's exactly the way we have to treat the audience. And the audience picks up on that. You know, do you do you believe in uh, such thing as a bad room? A bad room? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a bad room is administered by a bad producer, a bad manager, uh, not necessarily a bad comedian. When I see a problem in a comedy room, when I see an issue in a comedy room, I always say, where was the manager? You know, I went to a show last night. There was a heckler. OK, the heckler visibly disturbed the closer. OK, nobody got up and said, yo, you, you, you got to go here in my room. I respect everybody. Here, in 20 years, okay, I have personally asked people to leave. We will say to them, there's a, we have a, we have a, we have a, we, here's what I'm saying to you. I'm not trying to uh, pat myself on the back. What I am saying is, is I am ultimately responsible for that room, right? I'm not going to put that on a comic. So if I got a bad situation happening, including bad comedians, it's a bad producer situation, right? Interesting. Yeah. The show's starting late. That's my fault. People are misbehaving in the room. I had a guy here, true story, 15 years ago, bad date. I'm sorry, that's not what happened. He saw his girlfriend with her new date. He took a pitcher of beer and he poured it over her head oh. in front of the dude. How many people you think got up in the audience and did anything? Nothing, nobody. Wow. I'm looking around, I, I, I jump on the stage. I tell the sound guy, yo, cut the sound. I tell the lighting guy, lights up, let's go. And I was, Fuming, 
Not at the fact that it happened, but not one person jumped in. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody did. Oh, well, nobody. Nowadays, nobody really jumps up. They just pull out their phones. They pull out their phones. So I I jump off the stage and I'm, I, you know, get the guy. Security comes, gets the guy, put the guy outside. But again, my responsibility. Ultimately, my responsibility. And if this room is cold, my responsibility. If this room is, if there's bad service, I got to talk to the, the, the food and beverage guy and say, yo, what are we doing? Right. Right. Um, so bad rooms in terms of comedy. Here's how that happens. Right. There is. Remember, if the producer and the management are crappy, then the comedians will think that they can be crappy, too, or that they won't be held accountable on stage. If you're not going to hold somebody accountable on stage, you don't have a comedy show. They were free for all. You know, and yeah. I'm a big, big, you know, big supporter of that. Of, of I tell, I tell I've told people in the audience. Don't disrespect my comedian. What? Don't disrespect my comic. I've also told comics, why are you talking while there's a comic on stage? What do you mean? Well, if you're talking, how am I going to tell that guy to shut up? Right. So if you guys need, don't you guys talk all the time? Go outside and talk. Don't talk while there's a comic on stage. Pisses me off, drives me crazy. Four or five comedians talking while their peer is on stage. Get off the stage. I mean, I'm sorry, not get off the stage. Get out of the room. Right. Because yeah. I just told this group of hecklers, cross talkers, to shut up. And you're louder than them now. So again, you know, the culture of the room lives on the producer. And you know, we know that comedians get together. You know, I tell comics all the time, comedians talk to comedians, producers talk to producers, and bar owners and revenue managers and owners talk to each other, right? So I get all the gossip from all the way around and none of us are perfect. We're all in this together, kind of. It sounds cliche, but it is the truth, right? Yeah. We're all in this together. How many times have you gone to a comedy room and four patrons want to watch the Bears game, so they turn the Bears game on and forget the comedy show. I mean, you're like, yo, excuse me, there's a comedy show going on. What do they want to watch the Bears game? Well, then why'd you book a comedy night? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, why'd you book a comedy night? You know, but I, I don't let the venues disrespect my comedians. I shouldn't say my comedians. Comedians work for me. I don't let the people disrespect the comedians, but I also want the people in the room treated well. You disrespect the woman at my show, or you disrespect anybody at my show, you got to go. There's, we're not having a conversation. You got to go. You didn't think it was fucking wrong, excuse me, to slap that girl in the ass? Right. You didn't think it was wrong to make an indirect comment racially at somebody? You got to go. Right. Also, you can swear on the show. Oh, thank you. Then I yeah. fucking will. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we had to tell people that in the beginning. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're awesome to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what if if there's a new stand-up going up and and you weren't there and they mm -hmm. tell you it didn't go well, the audience didn't laugh. How do you give them advice because you weren't there in the situation and they're telling you they have bombed, but the room and the producer could have just sucked too. Yeah, that's right. I, if a comedian comes up to me and tells me the truth, which is, I don't think I did well. I'm happy with that. And, and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm good with that guy. If the comedian comes up to me and says to me, the worst thing you can tell me is there, this audience was terrible tonight. Oh, okay. Now I see the audience was bad. Uh, that drives me nuts. You know, um, what's wrong with doing your set? walking away with what happened there, analyzing and putting together everything as opposed to how many guys have done a room, not gotten a laugh for 22 minutes and gotten off the stage and be like, yeah, baby, bam, 
you're not in touch with yourself if you did not realize that you might have had a bad set. Um, but if a comedian is up there and he doesn't do well and he comes off, he might call me or text me. Yo, I had a bad night tonight. Okay. That's why there's another 364. Everything's going to be okay. So do you think ownership is the most like important trait for a comedian? Like own the fact that you either did well or Absolutely. sucked? Absolutely. We're completely in touch. You should be completely, completely in touch with your set. And by the way, I don't censor comics. The, the only thing I might do every now and then is make a, so if a comedian says to me, ah, so anyway, I went to the Burger King in Halsted and Roscoe. Uh, there's no there's no Burger King on Hosted and Roscoe. That may have been why they didn't laugh. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Re- you know, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't real. You know, uh, I had a comedian that used to do shows here that I hate white people. Let me tell you, I hate white people. You know, I hate white people. I hate white people. You know, I hate white people. I hate white people. I hate white people. <laughs> One day I said to him, you really hate white people? No. Well, then why split the room up that way? Your first seven minutes are you hate white people. So if you really don't hate white people, then don't divide the room from moment one. That's why you've got four minutes of silence because half of us are white and the other half aren't sure if we should laugh because, right? you know, but you went in too strong, number one. Number two, how about this? How about, you know, it's funny about white people. Completely different response. About a month later, the guy calls me and goes, yo, bro, I don't take advice from nobody. But I'm glad I took that. I got a completely different response now. They go, yeah. Or guys that say, you know, so anyway, I told my wife, bitch. And then the women are like, whoa. And I'm like, Did you, let me ask you a question now. Do you really call your wife a bitch? No. No, we didn't think so. And the women know that too. That's why they're full back. So figure out another way. I'm okay with whatever you do. I don't censor. I'm still going to book you next week. I, you do the joke the way you want to do it. That's the most I'll get involved. But sometimes when they're not getting laughs, I just try to figure out, man, maybe I should tell them, you know, you know, there was a guy, another guy that did low rider jokes and he was from LA and he wouldn't get any laughs, low riders and borders. And I said to him, I go, Hey, you know, FYI, again, do your thing. And he did very well here, but I said, Hey, we don't have low riders. I mean, we don't have a low rider community. Low riders here are something that the guys bring out in certain neighborhoods on a Friday or Saturday because that neighborhood or that area has a low rider show. Right. But we don't have that. The other thing you hear is we don't really have borders. So it's very difficult. But in California, that works. Nevada, Arizona, that works well because there are borders and the border culture is alive and well there. Oh, no kidding. I go, yeah, we don't, we don't have that. Well, what do you think I should put there? I don't know. Uh, you know, and so whatever, whatever the advice I give, but, those jokes take a, a, another turn, right? So, but again, not having a good set for me. Uh, and when a, when a comedian tells me, man, I didn't have a good set and I know he didn't, I love that guy or that girl. I love her. I love her. Because they own it and they, you they, know they're going to work on it. They, be they absolutely, they own it. They know what happened. They're aware of it, right? And so like everything else, right? Like everything else, like everything, like in your regular job, you were supposed to submit a 22 form you submitted a 20 form. What do you got to do? You got to figure out how to submit the 22 form, whatever that job is. So same thing. So what do you say to the person's friends? So maybe they're going up on stand up and yeah. the person didn't do great. Should the friends be like, oh, no, you were amazing. 
Or should they be like, hey, listen, yeah. you can do better. Yeah, that's a little that that's a little different because sometimes our friends suck. So it's hard <laughs> to tell. So here is the thing for comedians that are listening right now, if you're a new comic, here is my advice. And I don't claim to be an expert at anything. I I at nothing. Neither do we. But I've been in this room 20, going on 21 years, and I have seen a lot of shows. Here's my advice if you're a new comic, leave your friends at home. I know it's cool. I know they want to see you. I know they're excited to see you. But those are not valid laughs. Why? I tell the story this way. When I first did a couple of rooms, they booked me to do a high school reunion where I knew everybody there. Guess who got a standing ovation? Mikey O. Why did I get a standing ovation? Because these people knew me from my youth. And they were not going to not laugh. About a month later at Roberto Clemente High School, I book a show, The Latins from Manhattan from New York. Uh, I went up on stage and I could hear dust falling. Nobody laughed at the same exact thing I did there. But those were my friends. And it was a very clear. So keep your friends at home until you've got about 15, 20 shows in you. At least don't bring out a group of people because it's very difficult to understand. You know, you hear those laughs and they're not real. You have to go into rooms where you don't know anybody and work that out. And if those people are laughing at you, your friends are going to die. They're going to they're fall over later. But my advice is in the beginning is keep your friends at home. You know, that's that's a great advice. I would have never thought of that, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Because they're, your friend's like, no, we want to go support yeah. you. It's like, no, no, no. The way you yeah. can actually support me is keep your ass home. Yeah. So I can figure this out. Yeah. I, I, I felt uncomfortable in a tuxedo that I was wearing a few weeks ago at a wedding. And I said, I don't know. I just don't feel right. I'm going to go ask the people uh, in the, uh, uh, the, the, the bridesmaids. And, the, and I said, you know, what? I'm not going to ask them. They're going to think I look great. Sure enough, I go ask the guy in the lobby. I go, hey, let me ask you, older gentleman. I said, so let me ask you a question. Am I wrong or is this is this jacket short? Oh, yeah, they they, they measured you wrong. <laughs> you know, but the whole night. Oh, Mike, you look fantastic. Yeah. You look dapper. You look great. Oh, my God. You look, you look sexy, right? But I had a feeling because I kind of felt like I was in a straight jacket, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the guy's like, oh, man, they messed you up. Get your money back, you know. So it's those false. You know, people won't, people don't want to hurt your feelings, you yes. know. Yeah. yeah. So that makes sense. All that right. makes complete sense because anytime I've ever performed, I always hate when I know people in the audience, like whether it was Second City, whether it was open mics, anything. I always that was my biggest thing was I was like, I know them. First of all, if I do bad, uh, they're gonna know. They're gonna know how to contact me about yeah. it. And then, second of all, like, like I, I agree with, I, and I liked what you said because I never thought of it that way. Uh, but with having them, uh, like going in a room with where no one knows you, yeah. Even if you do bad, they don't know you. They don't like, know you. You just start over at the next place. That's exactly right. So, you hit it right on the head. But yeah, you hit it on the head. And the number of people, you know, you know, just so you know, like the number of people who now here's another thing where comedians are today, the number of people who now walk in the room. This makes me laugh. Comedians are walking in a room. There'll be nine people in the room. Dude, there's only nine people here. Yeah, there's only nine people here. And as far as I'm concerned, that is where you get your stripes. When you do a room that's. Crazy disorganized, crazy 
hardly anybody there and you can go in there and grab their attention, right? They got 19 other things they can be looking at. Oh my God, beautiful mm-hmm. sign, right? And all of a sudden, you, you, then you know you're earning your cake that night, you know? Um, but people now walking into rooms and they're like, oh, you know, uh, oh, there's hardly anybody here. There's hardly anybody here. There's hardly anybody here. What, what is, do the show. Do the show. Embrace the challenge. I want to tell one last one, one, one last quick story. I'm on the way to do a show. Comedian says to me, uh, so I, I always tell comedians, you know, for flexibility purposes, always start to have two suitcases. I call it the two suitcase theory. In this suitcase, everything goes. And in this suitcase, I'm walking into the archdiocese, right? I might have to take some stuff out, right? And um, I, we were doing this show and I take this comedian with me to, I believe it was... Um, yeah, Southern Illinois University, you know, and um, we get to Southern Illinois University. We get out of the car and the lady says to me, by the way, the dean of students is here along with the dean of student activities. It's got to be a clean show. And all of these comics are like, yo, I don't have a clean act. I don't have a clean act. And I'm like, well, we have options. <laughs> we do a clean act. Or we just tell them we're done. We turn around. None of us are getting paid. Gasoline's going to have to come out of our pockets. You know, this was a six-hour drive, you know. Every comic, every comic cleaned it up. And every comic destroyed the room. And every comic discovered the other side of themselves that night. In their minds, they were like, it's not what I do. It's not what I do. I don't, I don't do that. I, I, I don't work clean. Well, they all did great. And on the way back... They couldn't believe it themselves. They're like, yo, I could not believe those bits with no profanity. No profanity. You know, um, things you discover about yourself. If you're constantly discovering things about your act, like I see it here because I see it here all the time. I see a comedian develop. I had a comedian who quit drinking and uh, it was his first time ever performing not under the influence and was petrified. What did he discover that day? He could do it. He could do it. No big deal. No booze, no chemicals in you, no weed, no coke, no nothing. And went up there and destroyed the place. And I'm like, I thought, I thought you, what? There was no difference. You know, yeah, I, I struggled with it. I get it. I, I I know I get the struggle of alcohol, you know, trying to kick alcohol. And I get that. But it, it worked out. You, know, you gave yourself a chance. Comedians got to give themselves a chance sometimes, right? Yeah. We focused yeah. on, you know, no, you work for yourself. Stop you know, worrying about, stop having, get these other comedians that are living rent-free in your head, get them out of your head. Yeah. They're not paying to be there. Get them out of your head. Do your thing. Yeah, I mean, the first two shows we did at Second City were like class shows. Yeah. So it's like people you know, you invite and stuff like that. I mean, I, I we would have a couple drinks before the show. Yeah. And then I remember the first show that we did that I didn't drink anything and well, I threw up before I threw up before <laughs> the show because I was like, oh, my God, we're going to go on stage. I don't have anything in me. Uh, and then I like literally had nothing in me after that. So then yeah. I was like, I was like, all right, I guess we're doing it. And I just remember like, oh, I was more in control of what I was doing, what I was saying, what I was thinking about. Yeah, I was able to think and do, like multitask, like, yeah. think and do things on stage. So, I mean, that whole thing was just like, like, I remember that exact feeling was like, oh, like, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. I mean, you throw up before. but Yeah, you throw up, yeah, throw up a little bit. 
That's all right. <laughs> um, Mikey, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I do have some rapid fire questions yeah. to end it because you, like I mentioned at the, in the intro, you are a huge foodie. Yeah. So uh, I'm obsessed with pizza. Yeah. We talked about it briefly earlier. What is the best slash like most underrated pizza place? In Joe's on weed. And I swear that. Really? I swear to you. I swear to you. I swear okay. to you. I swear I mean, to you. I've told the owner of this place a million times, man. They're missing out on a whole different market. It is delicious pizza. Uh, he goes out of his way to get the sauce from the right place. The sauce is from the other place. And people always say to me the same thing. Well, of course you're saying that because you work there. This is amazing pizza. It really is good pizza. Um... Otherwise, I'm a big fan of John's Pizza on Western and Armitage. John's has been there for a long time, uh, and it's really, really good pizza. Okay. Yeah. I haven't had either of those two. Yeah. Ooh, oh, I, had, I, I tell you, you got to get a Joe's Pizza. Man. I've had a million Joe's Pizzas already. I, so, I good. Not, but, <laughs> so good. Uh, um, all right. Well, then I am obsessed with tacos. Who isn't? I want, where, like, where is the most, the best taco in Chicago? Man. Well, the best taco in Chicago is, uh, that's a tough question, but I would like to tell you that you owe yourself a visit to a spot called Atotonilco, A-T-O-N-I-L-C-O, Atotonilco, A-T-O-T-O-N-I-L-C-O. And there's one on 26th Street. There's one in the back of the yards. You can ask Joey Villagomez about this. Uh, him and I, uh, we're huge fans of the Raul Pastor tacos. Never had anything like that. And then there's one in Pilsen. Uh, on uh, Blue Island, Atotonilco. So if I if I if I got to go get a taco right now in this neighborhood, I'm on North Avenue in Ashland. I go to uh, La Pasadita because that's the most meat you're gonna get on a taco. Uh, and uh, but Atotonilco is my winner. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I've been to that one in Pilsen. Yeah. Um, on Blue Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm almost positive, but yeah. I'd have to check the pin I dropped on it. Yeah. I was like, I never want to forget this place. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good taco, man. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Mikey O, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? People can find me uh, on Instagram at Mikey O Show. They can find me on my website at MikeyOShow.com. And you can find me here a couple times a month at Joe's on Weed Street. And uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.